a Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. And good morning and welcome once again to Weekend in Wyoming. On this segment, I'm speaking with Dave Jenkins. Dave Jenkins is the president of Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. Good morning, Mr. Jenkins. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, I should mention this uh, This interview is pre-recorded on Friday, so uh, we won't be able to take uh, calls on this segment. And uh, again, as with any topic I do, if somebody has an opposing viewpoint, you want to book a schedule or a schedule a segment on uh, Weekend in Wyoming, you're certainly welcome to do so. Mr. Jenkins, you're president of Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. What, what is that? That's pretty much what the name says. We're an organization. We have 20,000 members nationwide. Um, of uh, conservatives who actually, you know, really care about um, issues related to conservation, stewardship, uh, safeguarding um, the environment, um, things like that. And we're also, you know, fiscally conservative as well. So um, a lot of our policies um, also tie in with uh, uh, that fiscal stewardship aspect of uh, conservatism. Now, here in Wyoming, a lot of time conservative, a lot of times conservative means you tend to f uh, favor uh, favored the oil industry and favored the existing leasing system. Your organization doesn't really care for the uh, the oil and gas leasing system we have now, although there is a moratorium in place. But you'd like to see some changes, is that right? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, as it stands now, the way the system works, I mean, you know, the law's been in place uh, for over 100 years and not been changed much. And the last uh, real major change, uh, and, and it wasn't that major, was like 40 years ago or something. Um, and the problem is, is that um, it's supposed to work one way, and it's actually not working that way. Um, when you, um, the whole idea of putting these leases up for auction is that you get, a, you get these parcels that are sought after because of their oil and gas production potential, and the companies will bid against each other and drive that price up. Mm -hmm. So therefore, the taxpayers are getting um, a good return on making that commodity available, right? It's a publicly owned commodity. And um, the problem is the way it's been happening now is that, uh, first of all, you can nominate these lands for lease uh, anonymously. So these uh, lands, much more lands are being nominated for lease than the companies actually have an intent on leasing. And um, what some of this is, is that the companies nominate a lot of parcels to try to confuse competitors so that they don't, the parcels they actually want are not bid against and, and, and the price driven higher. So that means they get a lot of this acreage at minimum bid of $2 an acre. Um, so giving away land for $2 an acre, uh, was, I don't think was ever the, the, the real intent here. The real intent was that companies would bid against each other and we'd get a good return. Um, and you know, some of that happens in Wyoming. There's some parcels that get bid, bid up, uh, but there's, uh, more than, uh, 22% uh, of the, the eight acres uh, leased in Wyoming over the, the past while has um, been going for that minimum bid of, of $2 an acre. So uh, we want to see that system reformed. We want um, uh, you know, to, to make sure that there's some connection between what's going on with the market and with our leasing. Uh, you know, back during the pandemic, um, you know, we had oil tankers lined up off the coast of California. Uh, companies were going belly up because the price of oil was so low. I mean, it actually went low zero at one point. Um, and yet we were still holding lease sales. Why would you hold a lease sale when, when there's such a, a glut of oil on the market? You're not going to get the best return. 
Um, so why not hold off and, and wait till the market improves and then do your lease sale? Um, so, so there's there's that. Um, and then when you do get into production, um, uh, the royalty rate for uh, onshore production in the West is um, significantly less than the royalty rate if we uh, if people are drilling offshore in well, the ocean. Why is that? So, uh, why why is that? I don't, I have no earthly idea. It makes no sense. Okay, okay. Oil is oil, right? Right, okay. Um, so um, so those things should be in line. There's legislation in Congress that's bipartisan, uh, Chuck Grassley and Jackie Rosen, that um, would raise that minimum bid to $10 an acre to discourage some of this, um, you know, nominating parcels and, and uh, um, you know, more beyond than, than what you really think is um, uh, feasible to produce and, and uh, get an economic return on. Um, there's legislation in Congress to um, uh, increase the bonding so that taxpayers are not left holding the bag with uh, orphan wells, uh, which is a problem. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done. So we support the pause uh, because we need to reform the system. If we weren't pausing, then everything would be leased during this while we we're trying to you know, see if we can get these reforms passed. They would be leased under the old system. And you know, these leases are good for 10 years. So. Um, we would taxpayers would be locked in to, to still getting a uh, a bad deal for for that period of time, but um, but you know the key is that you don't just pause for the sake of pausing that you pause and actually reform the system so that it uh, is um, you know fair to taxpayers. Now my understanding is the pauses effect through the uh, the pause is in effect through the end of this month. Am I right? Uh, yes, and I I'm, I suspect it'll be extended. The, the um, the Department of Interior is supposed to have an interim report um, this month uh, on sort of what they found when they uh, examined the system and where it can be uh, improved. Um, and we're hoping that that'll point to some of the things that, um, you know, we're trying to get done legislatively. And then um, I would think probably you'd see another six-month um, uh, pause to uh, try to help actually get those changes enacted and make, make those changes before you start up the leasing again. And there's no risk to the to, to jobs or to our dependence on you know oil and things like that um, because you know these companies have stockpiled a heck of a lot of leases. I mean, over the past four years, we put up an area the size of Tennessee for a lease, and um, I think it's like 22 million acres across the West currently uh, leased, uh, and there's more than 10,000 existing permits that have not yet been developed. Uh, so um, you talk to, you know, the head of Devon Energy or Occidental Petroleum, they'll tell you, we've got enough permits and leases to last us the entire Biden term and, and longer. Um, so it won't affect our production or anything whatsoever. Um, and, and the pause doesn't affect, you know, existing production or existing leases or anything like that. Um, so we think the pause is a good thing. We think it's prudent because we want taxpayers to get a fair shake. Now, here in Wyoming, um, I'm hearing a lot about it hurting our state revenues, however, because we do get a portion of uh, the receipts from those leases. What would you say about that? Well, I would say you should be the ones that are most in favor of reforming the system. Okay. Um, because uh, if, if, you know, if we're not getting a, a, a decent amount of uh, or fair market revenue from, um, from the oil and gas activity that's going on, um, well, you know, whatever we get, whatever the government gets is split with the state, right? So it's not just the taxpayers, the federal, you know, from a federal perspective that's getting uh, shortchanged. 
it's uh, also the people of um, Wyoming. Um, so, um, you know, if we reform the system and we have less of that acreage going for $2 an acre, and, go, you know, if there is minimum bed that goes for $10, if we um, uh, try to get the system where it works more like it's supposed to, where companies bid against each other for the, the valuable parcels, um, then, you know, Wyoming stands to make a lot more money in the long run. Uh, and, you know, the, what I just said before, this doesn't affect existing leases. It doesn't affect uh, existing permits. It doesn't affect existing production. It only affects leases going forward. So I don't see how anyone can come to the conclusion with the stockpile that's out there that this little pause to try to reform the system is somehow going to cost jobs or, or affect, uh, you know, the revenue in Wyoming. It makes no sense. The way you affect the revenue, the way you increase the revenue is fixing the system. And if it takes six months or a year to fix the system, then it's, uh, it's time well spent. Now, I, I think I picked up on a couple of the reforms you'd like. So you mentioned a couple of the bills in Congress. You mentioned uh, you'd like to see minimum bids. Uh, I believe you also at least implied we need to get rid of the anonymous leasing. Is that correct? Yes. I, I don't see what's the point in keeping that anonymous. Um, you know, um, it just it just causes people to play with the system. I mean, here's a uh, you know there is a perfume entrepreneur and uh, that, that's from uh, what used to be Burma. I can never pronounce it. Myanmar. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, she has um, bought up seventy thousand acres across the West. Um, has no experience in oil and gas, uh, but just likes the idea of owning the leases and that, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday the whim will strike her and she will get into oil and gas. Um, and she's a poet, by the way. Um, <laughs> there's, there's a Canadian company that um, uh, bought leases at minimum bed in Arizona. Um, Arizona doesn't really have much oil and gas, northern nor Nevada. Um, but they did it under this oil and gas leasing system because they could get it so cheap. But their real intent is not to produce oil and gas. Their real intent is to look for copper. Um, oh, really? So a, Canadian, a Canadian company looking for copper, trying to use the oil and gas leasing system. Uh, you know, and and you know, more than two million acres have been put up for lease in Nevada, and Nevada is a hard rock state. You can drill all you want to in Nevada. You're not going to find oil. Um, so why on earth would you put two million acres in Nevada up for lease and let people? you know, basically control that land and keep it from being managed for other purposes for a decade. It makes no sense. So how can we address that? What can we do to fix that? Uh, well, there is, there's legislation also uh, that would uh, uh, basically prevent the BLM from uh, bidding out lands that are geologically deemed as low potential. Uh, in other words, uh, uh, every every indication is they, they're just not much there, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be economic to produce. So why lease those lands? If you can just stop from leasing those and you can raise the minimum bed amount, then what you're gonna get is the industry focused really on the stuff that's promise that's the most promising, which will, will be a boon for taxpayers and for the state of Wyoming. 
Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Dave Jenkins, the president of Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. We're talking about oil and gas leasing. Um, and again, I'll, I'll repeat, if somebody else has another view and wants to come on my program in the future, I'd be more than happy to, uh, to schedule a segment. Uh, Mr. Jenkins, here in the information I was given prior to our interview, uh, it refers to misinformation by the oil industry regarding leases. What's some of the misinformation? Well, you actually uh, mentioned it just a little while ago <laughs> that uh, that this pause is somehow going to um, uh, cost jobs or um, uh, cost states revenue or um, uh, cause us to uh, have to import more oil. More oil. Um, that's just simply not true. They're just making it up because all you got to do is look at the numbers, the number of existing permits that have not been developed, the, num the amount of acreage that's under lease, 22 million acres that's not been developed, um, the, um, uh, the fact that existing production is not affected, that existing leases are not uh, um, uh, affected, and that uh, the, the folks in the oil industry that's, that actually you know, does this uh, have been saying, oh, we got plenty of stuff stockpiled, so uh, we can go quite a while without, um, you know, more leases coming online. Um, so I don't see if you've got that situation and you look at the facts, where do you, what, what line of uh, logic do you get where it actually has those impacts? It doesn't. It's just trying to scare people into saying, oh, this is a bad thing. Uh, but if, if taxpayers have been getting fleeced for you know, a long time on this and we've figured out that, hey, there's a way to fix this that makes it uh, fairer for taxpayers, um, it's prudent to take that pause and, and to try to fix it. Um, the other thing people need to really keep in mind is that, you know, we have built up a, a mountain of debt in this country um, uh, over the past four years because of the pandemic, um, obviously uh, more of the pandemic stuff this year and even before that, obviously, uh, with all the stuff we did to, to try to stimulate the economy back in the um, what, 2008, 2012, all those time frames. Um, so we got this huge amount of debt. And if we're not getting a fair return on the commodities that we make available for profit for, for, for companies, if we're not getting a fair shake there and, and they're able to rig the system so that uh, they don't pay much and, and it doesn't come back to the treasury, then digging out of that huge mountain of debt is uh, going to fall more and more on the shoulders of individual taxpayers. Why would anybody want that? Now, Mr. Jenkins, based on uh, some of your comments here a few moments ago, I would infer, too, that uh, you're saying that the uh, oil and gas lease moratorium really doesn't have anything to do with the high price of gas these days or the increasing price of gas. Would that be a fair statement? Uh, yeah, it has absolutely zero to do with that because, like I said, all this stuff is future, way future. I mean, beyond the the, the years of, of stockpiled stuff that the industry already has at its fingertips. Um, this is well beyond that. And what we're dealing with in terms of gas prices right now is just a, um, an adjustment period because, you know, with the pandemic subsiding and people getting vaccinated, uh, economic activity is, is picking up as we, we hope it will and uh, continue to do so. But it's picking up at a pace that's like really fast. And so when you've got a whole system that's geared towards supplying a certain amount of, of fuel, um, it's going to take a little bit for that to get caught up when demand spikes like it just has. Um, so 
so we'll see we'll see these higher gas prices uh, probably through much of the summer uh, because everybody everybody's been cooped up for a year. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, get me out of here. I'm gonna go somewhere, and uh, so it takes fuel to do that, right? Um, but this is not a long-term thing, and and um, the thing that people in in um, states like yours need to really really think about hard is that there's a trend going on in uh, in transportation fuels that is um, you know really going to to, to um, disadvantage oil and gas um, the electrification of, of, of um, the transportation sector every semi truck manufacturer in the world is rolling out of 100% electric semi trucks um, FedEx is or has ordered hundreds and hundreds or thousands actually of, um, of electric fully electric delivery vans as as has UPS and Hazard Bush Walmart they've all ordered um, fully electric semis uh, General Motors has said all of its cars are going to be electric by 2032 or something like that so with all that happening um, we're going to start seeing a demand issue with respect to oil and gas the demand is going to go down uh, and therefore that's going to affect prices and the problem is in this country it cost us quite a bit to pull that oil out of the ground, uh, especially across the West, where you're doing, uh, the, the, you know, tapping into the oil shell and stuff. Um, so you need 40, 45, 50, 55, depending on the well and the infrastructure and all that stuff, um, dollars a barrel to just just break even or make a profit. Um, the uh, head of Royal Dutch Shell said that he believes that we're going to be in a time where the price of oil would be as in his words, lower forever. So he's talking about sub $40 a barrel oil forever. And if that's the future, because of the way the transportation grid's going, then that is going to put a, a, a lot of companies out of business across the West because they can't simply make a profit at you know $35 a barrel oil or $30 a barrel oil or $25 a barrel oil. Um, so for the state of Wyoming, if, if I was in charge, which I'm not, uh, I would really be thinking about diversifying the state's revenue stream because you don't want to be so heavily dependent on oil and gas at a time when the energy market is in such a period of transition. Now, I've actually spoken to a state economist on this subject numerous times, and, and he's told me that at uh, any price under $60 a barrel here in Wyoming, um, it's really not cost effective for the companies to go after it. You're, you're saying it's going to be maybe $35 a barrel. Uh, d does that mean basically our long-term future for the oil industry in Wyoming is pretty bleak? Well, yes, that's what I would say. And um, that's why, you know, you shouldn't be focused on this pause. I mean, the pause is if, you can get, if we can get more revenue from the oil that's being produced in the short term, uh, that would be a great thing. And you take advantage of that. Uh, but uh, over the long term, you need to be looking further out and say, okay, in 2030, you know, what's the likely price of oil going to be? And if it's below that threshold, whether it's $60 a barrel or $50 a barrel, uh, you know, you look up in places like Alaska, like the Arctic Refuge, price of oil needs to be $85 a barrel just to break even. Um, so, um, you know, it varies from place to place. But when you start looking at that and you look at where the price trend is going, then you've got to get in sync with the market. You've got to say, okay, we're going, we, the market's going this direction. 
we need to take our cues from the market and we need to diversify so that we're not stuck in a situation where the market is working against us. How about natural gas? You mentioned electric cars. A lot of electricity plants these days are powered by natural gas. Is the long-term outlook for natural gas a little more favorable? Uh, actually, it's kind of in the same boat. Okay. Because um, uh, if you look at our electric grid, um, our coal plants and our uh, natural gas plants, um, they were all built, most of them were built quite a while back. Uh, especially the coal plants. I mean, they, I think the last one was built in 1990, okay? Uh, and the uh, natural gas plants are getting old, too. And these plants have a, a shelf life. I mean, they're an operating life. And um, for, um, you know, they're usually, it's usually about 30 to 40 years, okay? And as they get older, they become, they require more maintenance and it costs more to operate them. And so the trend we're seeing is that with both coal and gas, but especially coal, but gas is sort of following a little bit behind that in the same direction, is that as these plants age, the the cost, the, the cost effectiveness of their ability when they produce electricity, uh, they get a, a bit of a disadvantage vis-a-vis -vis other sources of energy. Uh, for example, in Arizona, there's, a, there's a, a coal plant. It produces electricity for around $80 a megawatt hour. Mm -hmm. The new solar and storage facilities that are going online across the West, some of them are selling electricity on a 20-year contract for $14 a megawatt hour. So if you're an electric customer or you're in a uti or your utility that cares about you know what your electric customers are paying, um, then you look at that landscape and you say, okay, coal and gas, plants are getting older, it's getting more expensive, to operate them, and the price of natural gas is projected to increase to double by 2030. Anyway, that's another aspect of it. Um, you see them going in that trend, where the, the cost of electricity produced by those fuels are going is going up, while the cost of electricity with solar and with storage now you've got the reliability issue um, uh, better handled, um, and wind is, is sort of in a similar price range, um, low and going down. Um, it's really hard for a utility now to say, okay, the smart bet is for me to build another gas plant. Uh, they're not. They're, all their new capacity is, is coming in on in wind and solar. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Dave Jenkins, president of Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. We're talking about oil and gas leases. Uh, we've been discussing the uh, the Biden administration pause and some changes uh, that uh, Mr. Jenkins and his organization would like to see in the leases. Uh, we're down to about two minutes left. Is there anything that you haven't talked about you'd like our audience to know or anything you'd like to especially emphasize? Well, I, I just really think that market thing is very important. As, as conservatives, we've always said, follow the market, right? And um, we sometimes get stuck on, on okay, oil and gas or coal or, or, or you know, fossil fuels. But the thing to remember is there's no red or blue or right or left energy. Energy is energy, okay? And we just eat, you know, it varies. What makes sense varies from state to state. It varies from, um, you know, over time. Um, and we just have to look at it, all of it as just energy, and think about where the market's going and what's best for our future. 
um, and and you know, um, I just really would be concerned that a state like Wyoming, um, if it you get where the governor or other people are just locked in on, um, you know, we've got to be pro fossil fuels and subsidize them, prop them up, no matter what, uh, then you know, as the market changes, uh, you're, you're eventually going to be in a real pickle. Okay, I'd like to thank my guest on this segment. I've been speaking with Dave Jenkins, the president of Conservatives uh, for Responsible Stewardship. Mr. Jenkins, we appreciate your time. Well, thank you for having me. Talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. Uh, that was Dave Jenkins, president's, uh, president of Conservatives for Responsible Stewardship. Some views on oil and gas leases. If you have a different opinion, give me a call. We'll put you on the air. Not, uh, not today necessarily, but I mean, if you want to schedule a segment, we would be happy to do that because I know this is an issue, uh, that certainly evokes a lot of emotion in Wyoming. Uh, we've been hurt uh, by the moratorium in terms of our state finance. Um, I think everybody would agree with that. And if you have a different view, as always, just give me a call. We'll schedule a segment with you to give the opposite opinion because that's always what we do. In fact, anything I ever air on this program, if, if you want to present an opposing viewpoint, uh, just get in touch with me. I'll be happy to put you on the air. Uh, we actually like doing that. So that's just something to keep in mind. Just ahead, Laramie County Commissioner Linda Heath talking about the county budget and the sixth penny sales tax proposed items. That's that's the other side of the bottom of the news and uh, information at the uh, bottom of the hour. We'll be taking calls with Linda. She's just ahead. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I have Laramie County Commissioner Linda Heath. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Doug. How are you doing this morning? Well, it's a little toasty if you're outside. The thermometer said 97 degrees a few minutes ago. Oh, man. That, that, that's a little warm for us Wyoming folks. We're not used to it. Well, especially since we've had such cool weather lately. I mean, this is kind of like putting the fog in the kettle right off the bat. Yes, it is. Well, Linda, you had a couple topics to talk about, including the six-penny sales tax items. Now, my understanding is we have 12 items proposed uh, for a total of, I believe, $130 million if they all got approved. Is that right? Well, if there's there's 12 uh, proposals um, that are have been put together. Uh, there's far more than 12 items. Oh, right, right, because some, some of them are not standalone. So. Yeah, several are standalone, but we've done something different with the grouping this year. Um, we put the county and the city roads on the standalones. Um, we have an infrastructure one, infrastructure two, um, community enhancement one and two, and then we have some public safety projects, and then the city has put on uh, some... Uh, other standalone projects uh, as well as the county so um, you know that's kind of how we broke it down this year rather than doing the, the groupings where the projects really of different types were mixed together now I, I glanced over the list this morning uh, I, I didn't see a city recreation center on the list this time is that not there this time uh, no but I do believe that they have plans let's see I'm trying to look real quick here I'm not as familiar with the city projects as I am with our county projects. Right. You're catching me a little off guard. Um, no, as far as a specific uh, recreation um, center, but there is 
there isn't one, but there is a gymnasium and gymnastics facility project on the um, city community enhancement projects. Well, I know a city recreation center seems to inevitably find its way onto the list. So I was, I don't know if that's the same thing or not. That's something I'll have to delve into well, a little bit. the gymnasium and gymnastics facility, my understanding is um, to replace one that they sold to the school district. Ah. I believe it is. Um, and it was, from my, what I have heard, and this is past, not so much current um, knowledge and information, is that that particular facility was aging, um, and it was also too small for the needs of the uh, gymnastics community. So that, w- that would not be a recreation center per se, it'd be a gymnastics center gym. Yeah. Okay. Linda, let's run through some of the county projects, the ones that, uh, that you're more familiar with. Uh, where should we start? Well, I'll just start at the top of the list. Um, one of the things that um, we're able to do with the six-penny um, ballot right now is that we are able to put on road construction or road projects. And so for those who are in Cheyenne or out in some of the outlying areas, we've got some specific projects that uh, we have put on the ballot. Uh, reconstruction of both East Allison and East Jefferson Road as separate items. Mm-hmm. Um the extension of division uh, to Wallach Road. Um, we've got some development that wants to occur down in there, and we've got to have a road for them, and it happens to be in the county. Um, and then County Road 164 and 142. Uh, we had several roads that um, we could have put on there in addition to this. 142 has had a lot of uh, oil traffic on it. It's kind of been patched and put back together, and so we've put that on there. 164 is a road over on the state line um, that is currently kind of hodgepodge together of gravel and pavement. It doesn't get a whole lot of traffic, and evidently most of the traffic that it does get comes out of Nebraska. (laughs) Okay. So there's some interesting discussion as to whether or not we ought to turn that all back to gravel, and that's what the intent is of that item. Um, And what would be the cost on that? uh, The cost on that is estimated at $610,961. Okay. Um, Yeah, road construction is not cheap. No, Uh, it's not. We talk about pavement, we're looking at probably $1.2 to $1.5 million dollars a mile just to uh, pave roads so um, granted we don't have as much maintenance but it's a deeper cut to the budget if we have to pave them Linda are, are we still having a problem in general with the um, the oil company traffic which I know we love to have but is, is that still putting a stress on our county roads or is that eased up so we're getting we're getting some stress on it we're still trying to catch up from the uh, infrastructure that um, was damaged when we did have the heavy traffic, and that's what 142 is. I see. Um, is it's a road that had heavy impact due to the oil traffic and local traffic as well. We've got a lot of uh, subdivisions that are out in that area, so there's quite a bit of uh, vehicle traffic on that road. Linda, um, I know I know the leases have been halted. Are we still seeing a lot of oil activity in the county, or not? Well, our leases here in Wyoming, in Laramie County are all on private land. Oh, so that doesn't apply. Okay. It does not apply here. So this is 
what you're hearing as far as the halting of the leases is leases on BLM land. Right. I, I knew that. I did not know that all of our local leases were on private land. So, so are well, we seeing a fair amount of oil activity or not? Uh, actually, it's, it's kind of quiet. There's been a lot of infrastructure as far as collecting pipe, collector pipelines that have been put in. So that has cut some of the oil truck traffic off of the roads. Um, there's a lot of uh, oil work going on up north of 85 um, between uh, Cheyenne and uh, the county line. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got some, I guess, notion that there's a sweet spot up there someplace. They're looking for it. And that's where most of your drilling is going on right now. Um, much of what I think is probably going to be drilled down here in the lower part of the county has been drilled. We do have a little bit of activity, but not as much as up in the northern part. Well, I did some interviews in the past with Jim Robinson, who's a state economist, and he told me on several occasions that to be viable uh, to drill for oil in Wyoming, it needs to be above $60 a barrel. I think the other day it was $67 a barrel and going up, so it might be headed in that direction. Yeah, and that is one of the things that the companies really looked at, which I'll get into later a little bit more and we start talking about the budget. Okay. When we get back to our six penny projects, um, one of the things that the county did is um, we've uh, added in the Eastern Laramie County Landfill Project this year. They have some equipment that they're in need of. Um, you know, with the population increase, we've got a hustle and bustle on the trash, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they've got some equipment out there that needs to be replaced. It's uh, several years old, and they're just waiting for it to break down and not be able to get parts. So they've got asked for a little over 500000 um, Okay. to purchase that equipment. Um, let's see. I'll, I'll touch on some of the projects real quickly from the smaller communities. Okay. They get a lot of publicity. Um, Burns Remodeling, Repair, Operation, and Maintenance of Town-Owned Buildings. Um, They've asked for upgrade, repair, construction, and maintenance of town-owned streets and alleys. Now, remember, these are small communities. They don't have a large property tax base to support these items, so they are asking for help from the voters. Linda, are are those harder to get approved because they have fewer voters in those communities? Well... Actually, this is a county-wide vote, so right, this would right. not be just the residents of Burns that would be voting for this. this right, I understand that, but what, I, what I'm saying is if you're asking for a project in Cheyenne, you've got 60,000 people who live here who probably tend to support it. In Burns, you've got, what, a couple thousand. So I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm asking is, is it tougher to get county-wide approval for these because they don't have as many voters directly impacted? You know, oddly enough, the people in Cheyenne, in fact, countywide, really have been pretty good about uh, voting to support our small communities. Okay. Well, that's, that's a good how thing. important those projects are for those communities. Well, that, that's a good thing, because I know in the past, I've lived other places where some of the outlying communities felt like they had a harder time getting these things approved. Sweetwater mm-hmm. County. Well, I think some of it is just the relationship between the county and the various municipalities within the um, county. Right. Uh, We've got a real good relationship with our outlying um, municipalities and also with the city of Cheyenne. And um, I think the residents, you know, realize that, you know, they've got family that live out in those small communities. They may have moved to Cheyenne, but they'll support those small communities and the infrastructure needs out there. So... 
really, in a lot of ways, Laramie County, like it or not, even with all the new people moving in, is really one big family. Well, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, it's not. Um, some of the other county projects, um, or other projects that are out in the small communities, we have a road resurfacing and rehab project in Pine, wastewater lift station in Pine, um, Cheyenne Regional Airport parking lot, that's a uh, joint project between the county and Cheyenne. Um, let's see, there's some equipment update in Alban. I don't know too much about the specifics on that. Um, Laramie County Library needs to replace their boiler. Oh, really? Um, yeah, you know, it gets outdated. And funny thing is, is you get digital controls versus analog, and analog doesn't work well anymore. Well, it doesn't seem possible to a person such as myself who was here in the 90s, but they've been open for about 20 years out there mm -hmm. now. It's, yeah, it's no longer those, a new thing. A lot of those uh, infrastructure items like that are getting out of date. You can't get repairs for them. Or oh, boy. People don't know how to repair them if you could get the repairs. Um, Laramie County government, we are asking for some money to do a sewer connection upgrade for the Archer Complex. Okay. Um, we have construction and operation and maintenance of town-owned sewer systems and water. This is Burns again. Um, there's a couple, uh, several Burns projects here in this particular group. Uh, purchase and operation maintenance of UTV, all-terrain vehicle, and I think they use that to just kind of run around town and um, you know check things out. It's cheaper than a truck. Right. Um, purchase and operation maintenance of a pickup truck for the town maintenance department. So they are looking to replace a truck as well. Um, maintenance and upgrade and construction of town-owned parks. Um, see, there's a project here. It looks like it may have gotten cut off the page. Um, wastewater telemetry. This is, again, Burns update and repair project for municipal water. This is Pine Bluffs. Um, electrical distribution project, Pine Bluffs. Finish the mobile home and RV park out in Albin. Uh, they did had this on the six penny a few years ago and we're short on funds to go ahead and finish it. Back to Laramie County here. Um, Clear Creek Park. I don't know whether you know where that is. It's off of uh, Southwest Drive. Right, I do know where that is. Lincoln yeah. Way. yeah. Um, we've been doing some work out there. We put a, a new shelter in. We put some new playground equipment in. We've got a bike park out there. Um, several different things that we've done to just try and enhance that park. Um, and they're asking for some funds uh, to do some additional work and upgrades out there for equipment. Um, the Archie Events Center Events Department, we have grown to the point that we can no longer store all the stuff that we need to hold events out there within the building. So now we're asking the taxpayers to help us uh, build a just a simple basic pole barn building to uh, store cattle panels, chairs, pipe and drape, all those kind of stuff, tables so that we don't have to use the space inside the building for that storage. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm trying to skip down here to more of the Laramie County projects. 
Um, the library is asking for a replacement of the book no bookmobile. Yeah, that's been can, around for a while. Yeah, as you can imagine, it travels out to Elbin and all over Cheyenne, and uh, it gets a lot of miles on it, and it's needing some uh, re to be replaced. Um, let's see. Laramie County GIS is asking for funds for a unmanned drone. They use this for their mapping purposes. Um, it's become, you know, almost passe to get a uh, paper map anymore. It's all going on uh, digitally. It's on the Internet. Mm -hmm. um, and this allows uh, multiple agencies to access these maps as well as the public if they um, so desire. You said that's a um, drone? You said that's a drone? An unmanned drone. Is that the first one that the county will have, or do we already have some? We already have one with um, the sheriff's department that they use for investigation. Oh, okay. Our, one of our fire departments actually has one. In fact, I think two of them do. Um, and they use it for fire investigation. Right. Well, that makes sense. Um, they can run that up sometimes and see where the hot spots are on the fire before they actually send uh, men in to fight it. Um, we have multiple projects for county IT. Um, we've got some upgrades that we need to do um, to our equipment, replacing servers and and other things. And again, it's you know they they age and they become out of date and obsolete, and you have to replace them so that we can continue operations. Um, there's a fiber loop. This will benefit both the county and the library. Um, it will cut some of the IT costs for the uh, library, so it comes with the cost savings as well, but it also costs money to put it in. Mm -hmm. um, the Sheriff's Department has multiple projects that um, they are asking for. They've got some uh, upgrades that they need to do to the old portion of the detention center um, facility. Now that we have the new one in place, we got to upgrade the old one. Uh, Laramie County Coroner, uh, this, is, this is a stinky situation. Um, when the building was built that the coroner's office was in, there was to be a separate ventilation system for the coroner's office that separated it from the uh, planning and development department and the EMA um, section of the building. Right. Needless to say, that didn't happen. And so when we have bodies in the cooler, they tend to let off a little bit of odor when you take them out. Oh, man. So that hits the ventilation system, and it, all of that odor is going over into planning and development. I guess you could say they know when corners working, but <laughs> it's not a pleasant experience. I think so, that would be pretty bad. Oh, it is. And, of course, when if you've got infectious diseases or anything like that in there, you can't contain them. Right. So this is something that it's an OSHA safety issue. It's uh, beneficial as far as health and safety for our employees uh, there in the corner and the planning and development office. Um, Laramie County EMA is asking for a storage building. We've been renting space for this, um, but we have outgrown it. And we need more space to um, store the comm van and the trailers and the various equipment that uh, the EMA um, offices use when there is an emergency. Uh, they have 
you know, all kinds of trailers in there that they use. They also share that space with the health department. Uh, the health department has to um, have, a, is required by law to have certain vaccines available um, that they have to store and they have to be in a secure location. So the, well, during the uh, COVID experience last year, we realized that you can't walk sideways between things and get things done efficiently. Right. So we're looking for a larger building. And then we have, um, EMA is also asking to expand their sirens and emergency alert systems and also for some maintenance funds on those systems. Um, well, let's see. Burns, repair of the town-owned ambulance, vehicles, and machinery. Pine Bluffs is looking for some public safety equipment for their uh, police department. Um, communications, combined communications, which is dispatch for emergency um, dispatch for 19 agencies within the county. Um, we're looking for some software upgrades in there as well. Um, The uh, Pine Bluffs community is going to be relocating the railroad crossing um, in conjunction with YDOT. This is a joint project. Is, uh, is that a safety issue or why are they moving it? Well, it's safety um, as well as a more direct path. Um, I see. Right now, um, it's right off the end of Main Street and they're going to move it for a little further east. I believe the street is black. Um, and it will connect up to the road that uh, goes out to Pine Bluffs Distilling. Um, but yes, it is a safety um, issue for the community. Um, then we have some fire stations. We like to build fire stations. Well, people people have supported those in the past for the most part. Yes, yes they have. Um, District 2 is looking to build a fire station over on Happy Jack. Um, the Alban community is looking to replace their fire station. And again, this is one of those things where, um, at least for Alban, the um, equipment, trucks have become so big they can't get them in the old stations. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that and makes sense. So you can't get them through the door. They don't fit inside, and you can't leave them outside. <laughs> so they're asking for some funds to do um, a fire station. And that's $1.5 yeah, million, a little more. Um, District 2 is looking for 2.7, but they're also looking for a larger um, station to handle their equipment. And then also um, District 8, another one of our uh, fire districts, is looking for some uh, apparatus upgrade, which means some new trucks. Um, so there's, you know, just some of the, the things that are on the ballot. Uh, Cheyenne Senior Center, um, the county took this project on. Um, they really do need to uh, get into another location where they've got better access for their seniors. The current senior center would remain open and they will be doing all of their um, meal preparation out of the um, original location. But a lot of their activities would be going on in this um, newer facility, which would be um, more handicap accessible. So that gives you a pretty good idea of what the ballot is. It has the dollar amount was expanded this year to allow for some projects that um, were necessary. At least the communities felt they were necessary. And 
So there will probably be a longer collection period on this particular ballot once, um, if the voters approve it. And the way it's set up, you will be able to approve, you know, your infrastructure projects in, in two categories and so on and so forth. Linda, I'm not sure everybody understands what the six penny uh, ballot is and how this works. First of all, for those who don't know, it's literally the six sales, uh, six penny sales tax. That's where the money comes from. Uh, this goes before the voters. These are optional things. These are not, uh, not things that are, are just approved by government and go through and they go before the voters. I believe the election this year is November 2nd. Do I have that right? Yes. And, and people get to choose. Uh, they've been pretty supportive in the past. Um, I think I read the total amount this year is 130 million. Do I have that correct? Um, if you know, well, I just need to get down to the bottom of the page where it's totaled up. 130, yeah, 130 million. How, how's that compare with over. past years? Um, actually, it's pretty close to the same. Okay. Um, as far as the the final amount is concerned, and the distribution as to who got more of the pie has changed a little bit. Uh, Cheyenne asked for, I was at 64% of the uh, total amount. So um, Laramie County ended up giving up some of theirs so that Cheyenne could have a, have a little bit more this year. And both the Cheyenne City Council and Laramie County Commission approve a list of items they'd like on the ballot. Is that right? Well, actually, they had a committee that met together. Um, everybody, including the municipalities out in the county, um, submitted their project proposals. Um, and then they t- worked to incorporate those into the ballot. Some of them didn't, obviously didn't make it um, to the ballot. We have until June 15th to get the uh, resolutions and proposals all done and before the... Uh, governing bodies of the various municipalities and the county for approval so that they can be uh, put on the ballot. So this is not a done deal yet? No, it is not. Um, we're still working on it. How, how does this process go? Is it, is it a tough decision to decide what to back and what not to back? How do you guys decide that? Well, I think a lot of it is, is you know, we look at, at how this affects, at least in the county. I don't know how the city really determines their projects. I uh-huh. haven't been through their process but in the county we really evaluate the projects for impact to the county as a whole um you know we've got some of these projects where they benefit both the city and the county and all of the municipalities it's not just you know the residents in the unincorporated areas of the county that would benefit this would be a county-wide benefit mm-hmm. um you know your emergency communications public safety fire um of course you know, Fire District 2, Fire District 8, these are in specific areas of the county. But what a lot of people may not realize is Fire District 1 and Fire District 2 in particular um, are responding to a lot of uh, fires and, and emergencies all over the county. Linda, uh, Linda, I hate to cut you off. We're almost out of time for this segment. Would you like to hold on and continue the other side of the break? Do you have time to do that? Sure, I can do that. Okay, because we still haven't even talked about the budget yet either. So, okay, I do have a hard break coming up here at the top of the hour that I do need to get in. But uh, if you want to just hang on the phone, or if you want to hang up and call me back, whatever, we'll continue the discussion at twelve oh five. Okay, we can do that. Thanks, Linda. I appreciate it. We'll talk to you here in a few minutes. <laughs> 
AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station on the phone. I have Commissioner Linda Heath, who is good enough to uh, stay on the phone through the break. Uh, we've been talking about the sixth penny sales tax ballot. For those of you just joining us, uh, the sixth penny is a proposal that goes before the voters. It's an optional tax. It is literally, just as the name says, a sixth penny tax uh, that the voters can choose to approve or not approve. Uh, the county proposes some. The city proposes some. They get together and come up with a final list. Linda, uh, had you completed uh, your, your list or were there other items on there you were going to explain? Well, I have completed the list, but I want to remind the voters that uh, Fire District 2 built a fire station just off of Hoose uh, Creek near I-25 off of the six-penny ballot this last time around. Fire District Number 1 is in the process of building a fire station at the Archer Complex um, off of the six-penny ballot at this moment. Um, in fact, I was out there the other night, and boy, that's going to really change the skyline out there. Um, they've got the steel frame up uh, pretty much, uh, so we're anxious to see that come to fruition as well. Um, I'll plug our county projects. We've actually got a real good project manager that um, helped us bring our projects in on time, helped us bring them in under budget, um, I should say on budget. Uh, so. You know, it, our county people are very cognizant of what the taxpayers have given us for funds to do these projects. And we do everything that we can to uh, bring those projects to fruition um, at the expectation of the voters. Now, just so people understand this, too, the sixth penny does not run forever. Once you've collected the money for the project, that's the end of it. And if you want more money for more projects, you have to go back to the voters. So this is not an eternal thing that just goes on and on. Well, it's not. And um, before we can run another ballot, we have to complete the uh, current ballot that has been approved. So the ballot that uh, started in, or was approved in 2017 uh, is just about completed as far as the collection is concerned that will happen here probably this next uh, month we'll see that all um, finished up but we have to give notice to the state department of revenue that uh, we are going to uh, um, complete that collection and then and they have two months with which to notify the businesses that collect sales tax within laramie county that the sales tax will drop from six to five percent mm -hmm. Um, and then we will we can we run our ballot, and as soon as that ballot amount is approved, then we notify the state that we will begin collecting that six percent again. But there's another two month uh, lag time, so we're looking at uh, the ballot completion here in June, uh, approximately. Looking at the numbers that uh, I saw just this last week. And then the collection beginning again in January, should the voters approve this, uh, any of the projects on the ballot. Are any of these projects uh, projects that have been rejected previously? Uh, no. I know there have been some in the past that they tried to pass repeatedly. Well, I should take that back because Burns got hit real hard because of the groupings. Uh. In the ballot. So their projects have come back. But because of the delay, I think they probably had to add some things to the project um, in order to uh, actually get them completed properly. 
Linda, why, why do we have to keep building fire stations? Is the equipment getting bigger, or is it because of an increase in population, or what's driving that? Both. Both? Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of subdivisions going out west. We're seeing population increases out here to the east. Um, of course, Alvin, the biggest thing is, is their um, fire station is just flat old. Mm-hmm. And it's small, and like I said, the equipment has gotten larger. They may not have the population increase in their district that we're seeing in some of the others. But there again, we go back to the property tax. And they do have mill levies that support um, each of the fire districts. And when you look at ag land versus land in around Cheyenne, um, there's a little bit difference in value. The oil um, revenues also you know, what they have for uh, drilling rigs and equipment on the ground in those fire districts makes a difference um, as well to their property tax values. So uh, Albin doesn't get nearly as much as what, uh, say, Fire District 2 does or Fire District 1. Now, in terms of the uh, the process going forward, you mentioned this is not a done deal. That'll be completed the 15th. Is that right? Uh, we have to have the resolutions all written by the 15th. Uh, municipalities have to have three readings on them um, for approval. The county is much quicker. We just do one. So you guys just run it right through there. We just, you know, we, that's just the way we're set up. Uh, you've got a different form of government in the municipalities and that they have home rule and uh, state statute says they have to have three readings on all resolutions. Generally, though, there aren't too many changes over those readings. Am I right? No. That's, um, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. Basically a rubber stamp. They've been worked so much and so many times by so many people that um, the approval has, you know, basically occurred already um, as far as the governing bodies are concerned. Linda, you know there are a certain number of people out there, and then these people sometimes call the show that basically just say, "I'm against all taxes." No, how, how, how do you uh, how do you how do you reason with them, or how would you try to convince them to support some of these projects? Well, I think this year in particular, and I, I'm going to speak to the county projects and the projects that um, the municipalities and the in the small communities have put forward. Like I said, I'm far more familiar with the, right. those needs. Um, you know, these are our public safety issues. These are infrastructure issues. They go to roads. They go to um, communications, um, emergency response. Uh, you know, when we get tornadoes in the area and or bad weather and people don't hear those sirens going off in around in the subdivisions in Cheyenne or even out in Federal, where we put some new ones in uh, here within the last few years. Where they got hit by a tornado a couple of years ago, too. That's right. They get a little bit concerned. You know, this weather looks ugly. The sirens aren't going off. You know, you're, I'm not getting it on the radio or, I've, you know, TV has gone out and I'm not getting it there because DISH or direct TV's down. Uh, you know, people depend upon those sirens. Out in the more rural areas where our population isn't so dense, we do have a skywarn system. It's called Look. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you may not look at the sky. <laughs> <laughs> yes, look outside. See what the weather looks like. And if it's questionable, run for cover. Well, that's how our grandparents did it. <laughs> but, My uh, grandparents in South Dakota actually had a root cellar where they'd go down there when there was a tornado. So, Well, we had a, a storm cellar that... 
Well, once you got in there, it was cold and dark. And oh, fun. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't want to stay there too long. No, you hoped that whatever was coming passed quickly. So, Linda, the, the election is November 2nd, and that is a special election, I believe. Am I right? It will be a special election, um, you know, and it will have some cost to it. Uh, there was some discussion about waiting until next year, but when you start looking at these construction prices right now, and the cost of materials and across the board. I don't know of any construction materials that are getting cheaper right now. Right. Um, when you start looking at possibly having to do paving with asphalt, the cost of oil and gas is continually going up. Um, you just, the governing bodies just feel it's more prudent to try and get those projects in um, and completed sooner rather than later. Linda is an elected official, and, and this is, would somewhat tie into our, our discussion on the budget. Is our economy rebounding? Are we doing better? You know, it's kind of interesting because budget-wise, um, the county is looking at a decrease in uh, the amount of revenue, largely because of the oil mm-hmm. and gas. But our sales tax revenues over this last year surprised us in that they held up. Um, we had couple of months that were down but for the most part they held up very very well um so it's kind of a mixed bag uh, it, we get the oil activity we get the um, wells back up and running they had a lot of them shut in last year because the price was so low for a barrel of oil it dropped well at one point you couldn't sell a barrel of oil for anything and dropped that low yes i remember that and it's back up so they had closed in or not closed in but shut down a lot of the wells and they're um towards the end of the year they started opening them back up and so the pipelines now are are running um with oil and gas as well so you know they're like a lot of things the market demands determine how much they pump and so we'll, we expect that those revenues will, from them will be back up this next year. But last year, it was pretty bleak. In fact, we saw about a 48% decrease. Wow. That, that's yeah. a lot. That is a lot. So when we started working on the budget this year, that was one of the things that we looked at. Um, we get some uh, forecasts from the state as far as you know what they think uh, county revenues might be. Um, the Wyoming County Commissioners Association puts out a forecast. Of course, their numbers quite often come from the state right. um, that we look at. And then, of course, we look at our numbers internally and what we're seeing um, there as well. Uh, we operate at the county level on a very conservative basis. Uh, we would rather underestimate our revenues so that we don't get caught budgeting for more than what we can pay for. Right. And, of course, as the state has to have a balanced budget, so does the county and the municipalities. Um, so that's something that just we traditionally as commissioners have uh, been very cognizant of. Our finance people have uh, kept a pretty close eye on that uh, so that we know what money we have to spend. And uh, so we've been very careful with that. Well, in my perception, and this goes partially from talking to state economists as well, is that we here in Laramie County, over the past few years, even during the energy industry downturn, we didn't get hit quite as hard as, say, Natrona County. 
Well, and that's one of the things that, you know, people will, will give the Wyoming Business Council a lot of grief and, and maybe even leads here in town, the organization that, you know, a lot of uh, business uh, men and women are part of that are looking at bringing in economic development. If we hadn't had Microsoft, if we hadn't had NCAR, if we hadn't had Lowe's, if we hadn't gotten Walmart Distribution Center, um, you know, and, and the, all of the, the businesses that have come into the Cheyenne Business Park and the North Range Business Park, if we had had those businesses come in, our um, property taxes would have gone way, way down. And we would have really, really had to struggle um, when the oil kind of bottomed out last year. One thing Laramie County has always done, and we've learned this from some of the other counties that do have a lot of energy development, is that we don't depend upon that energy development entirely to fund our general fund. Right. And our expenses. Because we know that as fast as it came, it can go. And then you're sitting there holding the bag for a lot of stuff that you couldn't afford before it showed up. And, of course, now that it's gone, you can't afford it now. Right. So so let's talk about the budget. Are we, are we looking at a tight budget? How's that look? Uh, we actually told our uh, departments to hold the line, um, really, as far as what our budget was last year. Um, and knowing that... We're, we may well have to make some amendments to the budget um, coming up, but uh, the last report that I had from our uh, finance office guy is that we will see the uh, draft budget this next week, and it is balanced. So we're about where we were last year then? Last year and a little bit below. So, um, you know, we've asked some departments to make some cuts. And, of course, this is another thing that, um, you know, when you look at the revenues and you look at some of the projects that have shown up on the six penny ballot, some of these are projects that we might normally have funded through the general fund, but because of the decrease in revenue, we're unable to, but if we don't put these upgrades into our IT system and our communication system for emergency responders, um, you know, next time you call 911, there might not be anybody there to answer or the equipment may have broken down and no one is able to answer. So, you know, they're, they're kind of tied together uh, in a lot of ways, and that's why you see some of these projects, particularly with the county, coming forward on the six-penny ballot. Oh, and one, one thing I want to clarify, too, not everybody understands the difference between the fifth penny and the sixth penny. They're not the same thing. No, they're not. Um, the fifth penny actually goes into the general fund. Right. And most of that money is used to fund equipment um, for the fire departments, um, volunteer fire departments, uh, some uh, vehicles for city county health. Uh, the sheriff's department uses it, but it's not a whole lot of money. And at the cost of the vehicles and the fire apparatus and such, it a lot of times has been used for matching funds, particularly for the fire departments to get new trucks. So that's mostly for public safety and transportation, right? Uh, yeah, we fund the library with it. Uh, we do some economic development um, with it. Uh, those are probably the major ones that we use that fifth penny for. And it's all directed towards, and in the county, we have a percent 
you know, if we collect a million dollars, we have a percent that goes to the sheriff's department, a percent that goes to the library, a percent that goes to our fire districts, a percent that goes to IT, which is any more is, you know, our, our communications is so dependent upon our internet um, connections and what IT does for us that, uh, you know, we've got to keep them funded. Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think what else. I'm off the top of my head. Uh, the city buys uh, equipment for the various, um, you know, the police department such as well out of that, fire trucks. and But there again, it's not enough. It's really more of a match to buy the uh, apparatus. So, so back on the county budget, how much is the proposed budget this year? Uh, I don't have the final numbers. Okay. All I have is the preliminary, and like I said, I won't see the the draft budget that is balanced at this point in time. The preliminary budget was not, but it did not have all of the personnel expenses and, and such included in the um, budget at that point in time. So that was kind of uh, to be expected. We end up with a preliminary, a draft, and then the final and the uh, draft budget will be published this next week. I would imagine that sometimes when you have to make some cuts, these are some tough decisions. How do you decide where to cut? Oh, boy. I'll bet. <laughs> it gets to be some heated conversation once in a while. And, you know, along with, and one of the other things that we've got is along with all of this growth and demand for services um, from the public, um, you know, some of our departments have had to ask for employees, and it's been a hard decision because we've actually had told a few of them no. Uh, maybe, you know, we can look at it in January, see, you know, if we can accommodate that request. Um, our coroner uh, is actually asking or asked for a new deputy coroner because of their caseload increase. Now, that's a sad place to have to ask for an increase in a, of uh staffing <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they have seen an increase in the cases over last year the number of autopsies they're doing the number of suicides they've had to deal with um you know the the various investigations that they're asked to do the criminal cases that they're working on um and as you can imagine emotionally that's a pretty tough job i don't think and i could do it i really don't when you've got just enough people to cover the bases you don't get aren't able to schedule a lot of vacation time or time for them to just kind of recuperate or maybe go out and get additional training. So, you know, that was one of the positions we had. Uh, we had some requests for additional positions for courtroom security because people don't exactly play nice when they go to court, mm. um, which puts the judges in, in danger. It puts your jurors in danger um, when somebody decides to twist off in court. Um, so it seems like this that we had to determine, you know, whether or not um, these positions were um, necessary to add to our uh, personnel. So you have to have the uh, the county budget. Uh, well, I know the city budget has to be completed by June 30th. Is that the same with the county, or, or are you on a different schedule? Because um, of the fiscal. Actually, within the last, uh, I think it's three years have been able to get our budget um, approved by the end of June. We had been dragging it out into July before, and of course that wasn't working well with the budgeting because our cutoff for expenditures was kind of screwing things up. And 
So if Deborah Lee got on us and she says, we're going to get this budget approved by the end of June the way it's supposed to be, and you know what? We found out we can do it. <laughs> it's amazing how things happen when you've got to do it that way. So <laughs> a lot of times deadlines are a good thing. Yeah, and the state puts them in place for a reason. That's true. Linda, we're, we're just about out of time here. Uh, we have about three or four minutes left. Uh, by the way, if anybody has any comments or questions, we'll take calls here at 632-3323. We've been talking about the sixth penny sales tax, uh, optional penny tax, and the budget. Um, are, are we headed in the right direction in this county? Are we getting back to normal or not? Yeah, I think we are getting back to normal. I'm going to functions now, everybody's like, oh, you do still exist. And people are really enjoying the face-to-face contact yes. uh, as far as uh, the various functions and community activities that are going on. We've been holding our uh, department reports back in our conference room as commissioners and our agenda meeting. We still hold it out in our boardroom um, so that uh, we've got a little more space in there and, and folks that feel like they need to you know, sit a little further apart can do that. Uh, but for the most part, you know, we've returned to normal. The library is opening back up now on a normal basis since the uh, state orders have uh, changed, in fact, ended. Uh, so, you know, we're feeling pretty good about moving forward. And, yeah, it's, it's a common sense approach. If you feel you have to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you don't want to, don't. You know, wash your hands, cough in your sleeve. You know, if you're sick, stay home, this kind of stuff. And we're going to get through it. We're Wyoming tough. We're Wyoming strong. Well, I, th- I think we're closer to the end than we are the beginning. I really do. At well, least here in I Wyoming. Think, I think we are, too. And, you know, we, hey, we're pros at social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> did we uh, Did we learn anything from COVID and people working at home and working remotely and anything like that that uh, will be incorporated into the way the county operates long term? Yeah, I think we'll probably go back to the way that we've been operating in the past, but we do now have those plans in place. And they were, you know, kind of tweaked throughout last year and developed on the run um, when we started shutting things down at, at the courthouse. But I think we now know that, you know, if we have to, we can operate from home. Um, so much of what we do with our employees really does need to be face-to-face with the residents of Laramie County. Right. Um, the court system is has made some adjustments there. Um, they've done a lot of their uh, hearings by video conferencing from the jail. And, of course, that's also driven some of that need for courthouse security and additional staffing for deputies because, you know, frankly, when you start taking the inmates out of the cells and bringing them in to, for video conferences, uh, they have a little more access to each other than maybe they did in the cells. Linda, if you know, and you may not, is, is the jail back to its normal operating procedure, or are they still kind of restricting who gets... who gets? Uh... They're, they're restricting. They're slowly opening back up. Um, it's going to be a while yet. Uh, that's one of the areas where we probably saw more COVID cases um, than in any other department within the county um, during this last year. Um, and we still see some over there. Uh, you know, those folks deal with the public and they can't really, you know, 
arrest somebody from six feet away. Right, right. Well, and I often wondered what it would be like to be a police officer during this epidemic. And, well, you just saw somebody, you got to stop them. But, gee, I hope they don't have COVID. Well, you know, it's, you know I think any um, public safety um, person, whether it was our law enforcement, our EMS, our fire, they were all very cognizant that, you know, what they were responding to, you know, there could be issues there. Um, our uh, communication center worked with uh, them and, and trying to identify, you know, this could be a home where there is someone who's quarantined. Um, so they at least knew going in that there could be some issues and we got the PPE gear out to them so that they were protected as well um, when they did respond. So, uh, you know, we worked with our emergency responders to make sure that they were protected going forward. Linda, we're about out of time. I sure appreciate you calling in this morning and even taking the extra half hour. Any uh, any last thoughts for our listeners here before we close up the segment? You know, I encourage everybody to get out and, and to enjoy our, our community this summer. I, CFD is back, and so many of our activities are back. And like I said earlier, if you feel you have to wear a mask, wear it. Nobody should be pointing a finger at you and giving you grief if you are. And if you're not, please don't point a finger at those who aren't wearing a mask either because they've chosen not. Excellent. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB. To uh, another segment on Weekend in Wyoming, I have Cody Tucker of 7220 Sports with us. Uh, good morning, Cody. Morning, Doug. Thanks for having me, man. Well, first of all, uh, got got a big event coming up that you guys have done. I found this fascinating. You're rating the top 50 University of Wyoming football players of all time. Do I have that right? Yep, you do. Not a, not a small task. No, not at all. And one that I think uh, is going to get a lot of people talking and a lot of people uh, probably calling me an idiot. And that's why I put, to <laughs> <laughs> put together a panel of people who are in the know. Kevin McKinney, uh, Robert Gagliardi, Ryan Thorburn, and Jared Newland are joining me in uh, coming up with this top 50. And think BCS. Even right. though I know that's kind of a cuss word when it comes to college sports <laughs> fans, but we all came up with our top 50. We put it in the computer. It averaged it out. That's how we came up with this top 50. So, you know, it, it, you might not agree with every selection, but it's coming from a good, knowledgeable place. And I happen to know, for example, Kevin McKinney, obviously, Bob Gagliardi. Right. They've been covering this stuff for a yeah. long time, as I know you have yeah. as well. Yeah, there's. I, I didn't do the exact math on it, but there's well over 100 years worth of watching Cowboy football. And, and that was important to me, too, with Kevin McKinney, because he goes back to the 70s and even right. the 60s as a fan. Right. And then Gagliardi covered the team for 26 consecutive years years and Thorburn's written four books on the pokes I had season tickets for 30 years before I started 7222 right. years ago so so how, how I won't ask you to reveal the the list because obviously that, that'd be a spoiler but how yeah. far back did you go who's the oldest person on the I won't say who but how far back is the oldest person on the list 50s back to the 50s, 50s yeah we, we really went through everything we scoured the uh, we scoured the history books uh, me personally, I reached out to a lot of guys that are still alive. Right. And even if they weren't, if they're not going to make my list, and I, but I'd reach out to a teammate and say, how true, truly, how good was this guy? So I can tell you one name, for instance, uh, without saying where he's landing on the list, but a, a Ken Fantetti. He played for the Detroit Lions yes, in the seventies, eighties. Yes. Yeah, tough, tough as nails. He was a linebacker at Wyoming, but he. 
I talked to a couple of his former teammates, and they said he was bending face masks in practice. Wow. The guy did not have an off switch. It didn't matter if you were on his team or not. He was coming for you full bore. And I'd say, do you think he deserves to be on top 50 list? Absolutely. Is, is my buddy Jerry DePoister on the list? <laughs> He's definitely. Well, I can tell you some stories about Jerry, but we won't go there right he now. He certainly has the credentials, man. That guy did it all. Didn't yes, he, he did. You know, played and, in the NFL for the Raiders, right? And I, I read some quotes from. Uh, I did a for those of you familiar with seventy two twenty sports dot com. I did a uh, who wore it best series right. jersey numbers one through ninety nine. Right, and uh, people flipped out. I had DePoister and Jay Novacek as my number eighty four as co you know co owners of that number. And I, I found some great... Which is high praise. Yeah, oh, definitely. Couple real good tight ends here. Definitely. And, and with DePoister, what was funny is I read quotes from John Madden, and he just said, DePoister was the most maddening guy. <laughs> he could not he could not field a, a a snap back to the punter. He could not field it cleanly ever. And he said, the guy just absolutely drove me nuts. But what a career. He had a great career. Back in the day, I covered Rock Springs Tigers football with Jerry DePoister and my yeah. then boss, Bill Lesmore. And yeah. We had some good times. Mm -hmm. Jerry always knew how to have fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. No, it, you know, it, it's tough to compare di people from different eras, yeah. different positions. You know, how, how do you compare the value of a quarterback versus a linebacker, for example? It, it's a tough job. What sort of things did you folks look at? Well, I tell you what, you, you come up with a good point there, Doug. Uh, the hardest part for me is when the top 50 was complete, and then you look at who didn't make the top 50, and you go, oh, God. How did that guy not land in the top 50? But it really Some shows. Some names we'd recognize. I oh, assume. yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's guys that, you know, did big things, but it also shows how many great players have been in, at the University of Wyoming. So as far as, like, our parameters were just what was their impact at the University of Wyoming? Mm -hmm. We don't care when you were drafted. We don't care how your NFL career went. Right. Um, how did it go at Wyoming? And, right. and that impact also can be felt – Let's talk about a Josh Allen, for instance. Yeah, I was just thinking of Josh. Yeah, so if all five of us get together, two or three of us say, does Josh Allen deserve to be on this list? He only played 18 games. He didn't have unbelievable numbers. He was never first team. He was never an All-American. He was more about talent than numbers, but the, if you look at his college career. Right, but the impact that guy had turning eyes toward the University of Wyoming and putting the media spotlight on the University of Wyoming. His impact, literally the university did a study, and I believe it's $46 million that he allegedly brought to the University of Wyoming just with TV, radio, all that kind of stuff, all that all that pub. So I always think of Josh Allen leading a game-winning drive against CSU in a blizzard or at least mm -hmm. a snowstorm in yep. Laramie. And I thought right then, I thought, this guy's got it. He's yep. got the leadership. I mean, the weather conditions, not great, arch rival, time running out, and, and the pressure was on, and he performed. And he's one of those guys, too, that when he would go down, he'd get up and get in your face and, you know, emphatically throw that first down like like America saw on Thanksgiving mm -hmm. against the Cowboys a couple years ago. That was nothing new to us. We're, you know, we're used to seeing him do that. So This is a little outside the parameters of your list, but are you surprised at his uh, success in the NFL? Uh, no, because I knew the talent was there. I think he just needed developed. And to be honest with you, I was shocked he came back for the 2017 team uh, or season. Right. Because that 2016 Cowboys team that went to the Mountain West title game, they lost a ton of talent to the NFL. And he had some passes dropped the next year. Sure some things did. that made his numbers sure did. maybe not look great. Yeah. 
Um, I don't want to say he did it on his own, getting him to the no, potato bowl, but... but uh, <laughs> he certainly did his share. He did. Yeah, he sure did. He didn't have a lot at the wide receiver position. Didn't have... I mean, he lost a wide receiver, a tight end, uh, the all-time leading running back, his center, a uh, few guys off the defense. He lost a ton of dudes. Well, and let, let's be honest here. I mean, um, Cody, if you're really talking about a quarterback, Laramie's a wind tunnel. That's not a place you necessarily <laughs> go to compile pretty statistics. Yeah, that's how hard that guy throws, huh? Really but, says a but lot. he was able to, you know, good preparation for playing in Buffalo, I guess, in the wintertime. I think every Wyoming fan probably thought that the minute Buffalo drafted him. Right, I think for right. me personally, I'm st- I was still getting over the being pissed off about Denver not taking him. But and then, John Elway went to a game. Uh, I know. He was at the Potato Bowl. But then to see Buffalo, you go, okay, if it's not Denver, Buffalo, Buffalo Cleveland, makes sense. Green Bay. I, I would have to say, and, and I don't talk to John Elway, so he doesn't tell me these things, <laughs> but I have to think that maybe he regrets that choice. I mean, Bradley Chubb, great player, yeah, great linebacker, but franchise quarterbacks don't grow on trees. They're still trying to address that issue. Uh, and I think the Browns ultimately screwed that whole thing up because they took Denzel Ward out of Ohio State way earlier than anybody expected. I mean, Miles Garrett could have been across from Bradley Chubb. In Cleveland. And I think everybody thought it'd land that way. And we thought, oh, here comes Josh. He's landing Denzel right Ward's a great player, but Bradley Chubb and yeah, right. uh, Miles Garrett up front would scare quarterbacks Not bad. to death. Not bad. So as far as making these rankings, I mean, we talked about how it's tough to compare eras. It's tough to compare positions. You said you looked at their impact of the school. Does that mean you just looked at numbers of jersey sales or did it go beyond that? Oh, well, well beyond that. It was, you know, you got to look at first team all WAC, first team all Mountain West, first team Skyline Conference. You look at that kind of stuff. You look at all Americans. Uh, Wyoming's had a lot of all Americans. More than people think. Oh, yeah. Plenty more. And I believe the first one was Eddie Talboom, who was a a transfer from Notre Dame after uh, the war. He came to Wyoming and did some unbelievable things. And, you know, Jim Kick, obviously, his his he did a lot in the NFL, but he also was the Cowboys bell cow. Came here from New Jersey of all New places. Jersey, yep. Dropped off on a train. Here you go. Have fun. <laughs> it felt like he was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and all he did was take the Cowboys to the Sugar Bowl and, and a date with LSU, which they, you know, in, in many regards should have won that game. I'm a bit older than you. I'm just old enough to remember <laughs> that. I'll tell you what. I, I was a little kid. We were, I was in Newcastle at the time. Yep. My parents, not football fans by any stretch, they were excited about it. Yep. it. It really got people, that game and that season, really got people interested in University of Wyoming football. And that, that's really, I think, where my personal interest in football came about because I started following the Cowboys that year. I was seven years old. Right. Uh, and, and I think, wow, this football stuff, this is pretty cool. We have yep. a good team. You know, that reminds me, Doug, of... Uh the first interview we did for 7220, I wanted to launch with, which our birthday was actually on June 1st, uh, 2019 is when we launched. And I knew that day I wanted to launch with a story with Fennis Dembo. And you reminded me of that because even my mom, who's my mom's a Wyoming fan, of course, my family is all Wyoming fans, but going over to Laramie and Blizzards to watch basketball games. That's, Takes dedication. Yeah, that wasn't happening. Right. But when Finnis Dembo did what he did in Laramie, that had everybody excited. And even my mom's like, wow, you get to meet Finnis Dembo? Like, wow. And then we, we actually uh, hung out with him on the Riverwalk in San Antonio about a month ago. And nice guy. Or? Awesome. He's the best. And my, and my uncle is not a sports fan, but even my uncle got members getting the itch back in the 80s when, when Finnis was doing his thing in Laramie. Well, they went deep in the NCAAs. That was Sweet 16. Elite, was it Sweet 16 or Elite 8? Sweet 16, but what they went through to get there to beating Reggie Miller and UCLA. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah, that's and right. And Finnis dropped, uh, dropped a 50 burger on them, I believe, um, and just dominant, absolutely dominant. So, and just fun. And, and look at that kind of impact, for instance. He was on the front of Sports Illustrated. M- imagine that back then. Being on the what being on the front of Sports Illustrated oh, yeah. meant from Wyoming. Where's yeah, that? Wearing a cowboy hat and chaps, <laughs> and I mean, awesome. That's awesome impact, especially back then because there was no other outlets. I mean, Sports Illustrated was it. Well, I know even today I go on Facebook and I have friends across the country and they find out I'm from Wyoming and people are just fascinated by that. What's it like? Yeah. A lot of people think it's all Yellowstone National Park. Right. Some people think we're still riding horses, and, yeah. which we do on occasion, but you yeah. know what I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah. Well, yeah, people, we just talked about this yesterday. Uh, people go, oh, Wyoming, Yellowstone. And you go, yeah. That's I've, the first thing people think. And of. you say, yeah, I've been there twice because it's like eight hours away and Wyoming football is not played at Yellowstone, so well, I don't and, go and there. Beautiful as Yellowstone <laughs> is, it's really not representative of the state as a, as a whole. No. Lord knows Jackson is. No, absolutely not. you got to get out of Jackson. <laughs> that's, that's for certain. It's a little piece of Marin County stuck in the middle of Wyoming, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- this is just football, though, right? The top 50 football players, Yeah, correct? yep. Um, and, you know, honestly, Doug, summers are summers are tough with content you know these guys are finally getting a break and and you know once again another shout out to wyoming football and basketball because what they went through this year to play games was absolutely incredible and you're talking 18 19 20 year old kids getting you know their brains stabbed three times a week so they can play ball not going to bars not going to restaurants not seeing their families well for the football Uh, team a couple of those games were canceled at the last minute you're all you're all set to play you're ready to go and exactly not happening but the same with the season they're ready to go right uh, right so just unbelievable job by those guys and um but during the summer you know they they finally get a break and they finally get to go home and see their families and and uh we don't have a lot of time with them or you know even get to see them live yet we, mm-hmm. we still don't get to see anybody live but uh, you got to come up with stuff during the summer and uh you know it's we call it list season because it's mm-hmm. you know you got to come up with some content we want to have fresh content every day right uh, especially you know the newspapers are covering Frontier Days Rodeo and college football or college uh, rodeo up in Casper and, and Legion Baseball, you know, we still want to pump Wyoming Cowboys content every day. Well, and, and true Cowboy fans are interested 12 months oh, a year. absolutely. So, and uh, the, the interest in this team is at an all-time high, in my opinion, and, um, and it should be. 95% of the roster is coming back. Right. And uh, that team had a lot of a lot of lofty expectations last year, but with the shutdowns and the stops and, and losing the Utah game at home, you know, not having that game because of cancellation, of course, uh, it just was a horrible year, and nobody was ready to turn the page more than Craig Bull. And uh, I think this team is going to be exciting. You know, 95, like I said, 95% of the roster is back. They have a log jam at almost every position. So, so I'm going to put you on the spot here. How good do you think they'll be this year? Um, they all mentioned the word championship during spring. So Conference title? Yeah, there's, in my opinion, nothing less. I mean, well, Boise State always stands in the way San Jose yeah. State oh, was yeah. unusually good last and year. And Wyoming goes to San Jose State this year. Um, yeah, Air Force is always a challenge always. with that offense they yeah, run. Always. It, it, but you wonder with San Jose State, not to take anything away from them, Brett Brenton did an awesome job with the Spartans last year, but six-game season, how do they do in a 12-game season? Well, and <laughs> you know, they're not exactly heirs to a great winning tradition, let's be honest. Right, yeah, but I mean, you ask Wyoming fans, would you have taken a conference title last year with a 6-0 and record? Oh, yeah. Hell yes, they would Absolutely. <laughs> 
schedule is a title. Right. But you do wonder if the, if the depth is really there to play a full schedule and have the same kind of success. Right. What's our returning uh, player roster look like? A lot of guys back? Or? Oh, man. Uh, so many. So many. And in the key spots. And when, I'm, when I say key spots, I mean the line of scrimmage. Uh, two deep, three deep at some points. For uh, San Jose State? Oh, for well, even San Jose State. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They got a lot of guys back. You know, nearly everybody in the country does because everybody was granted the extra year, of course. Right, right. But uh, San Jose State does have a lot of guys back. Uh, Nevada. Nevada's got a lot of guys back, including Carson Strong, who was the Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year last year. Uh Boise State is one of the ones that has less amount of guys coming back. They're but, always good, though. But less isn't less isn't much, they and they're always well. good. Yes. Yeah, and they have a new coach, and you know they're going to put some stuff there? in. Um, I would ask that. <laughs> having a brain fart. <laughs> Avalos, I want to say he was a he was at Oregon. Oh, okay. Uh, and he's a Boise State alum, so. Um, He'll do fine. Well, and with the success they've had, as you know, in college football, success breeds success in terms of recruiting. Absolutely. Um, it, it's frankly not as hard to recruit people to play at Boise State as some other Mountain West schools. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing with Wyoming. You know that it's hard to recruit here. And, and Craig Bull only goes after a certain kind of guy. Right. It, at Boise State, too, not to discredit them whatsoever because what they've done speaks for itself, but it's not exactly hard to get into Boise State either. It's not, it's not hard, academically challenging. Right, right. And, right. and that's one of their big black We're not talking eyes. Stanford or Northwestern no, here. No. So they get some cats out of out of California that are pretty darn good. And and let's be real, Boise's a hip, younger type of city. Boise's not a bad coming. place. Yeah. You know, I just don't like it because it reminds me of Utah. It's, <laughs> it's like Salt Lake Junior, but... I used to live in Twin Falls. We'd go up to oh, God. a couple years. <laughs> no. Speaking oh. of Utah. <laughs> yes. Again, I can tell you some stories, but we won't go there. Uh, but we'd go up to Boise for concerts. I mean, it was uh, coming from Twin Falls. We felt like we were in the big city. It was, yep. it was, you know, it was, it was, it was nice. It it's was a okay. hip town. I can see yeah. a California kid coming there and going. I could spend four years here. Which brings me to one of the challenges Wyoming always faces. It's a little town out in the middle of nowhere. You're always going to have a challenge recruiting players from more urban areas. Is, sure. is, how big of a problem is that these days? Um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's the kind of guy Bull wants to go after. Do you want, you know, Jared Newland and I talked about this yesterday. Do you want shopping malls and nightclubs? Laramie's not your place. No, uh, no. You want to come play football, get a degree, and meet some of the best friends of your life. And, and my main sales pitch, and, I, and I'm sure cowboy coaches use this, what other state outside of, say, Nebraska, does everybody care about you? Yeah. And what you just said about your parents didn't care about football, but that Sugar Bowl team, that's all a Wyoming team has to do is capture Absolutely. the imagination. And everybody cares anyway, whether it's hated Wyoming win or I was at the game with my face painted. I mean, <laughs> right, right. period. And nobody else loves any other teams. Well, they're the only four-year sports university yep. in the state. Yep. Uh, there's no pro teams here, obviously. I've right. got the Broncos and stuff down the road. Well, and look at the way the... Sorry to interrupt you, but look at the way Wyoming fans are with the guys that are in the pros now. Right. When Larry, oh, Josh, Al Josh oh. Allen's a folk hero. You see Bill's jerseys everywhere now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But when Larry Nance Jr. played for the Lakers his first year and came to Pepsi Center to play the Nuggets, there it was University of Wyoming Appreciation Night for oh, one. Yeah. And there was like 5,000 Wyoming fans there, and Larry Nance is just blown away. I mean, what other school are you going to go to? At Duke, you're just another dude. Right. You know, yeah, you're a star. You're, you know, Christian Leitner is always going to be the man there and always going to be a star. But if you're at Kentucky, you're there for a year and see him. Gone. Right. And it's a dime a dozen, no big deal. Here, they are going to love you forever. Oh, absolutely. You think of names like Conrad Dobler, Jay Novacek, Jim Kick, Malcolm Floyd. 
Those guys kicked so much ass in the NFL, and the fans followed them all the way through. Absolutely. And we've got more guys in the NFL now that people realize. 15. Yeah, Josh Allen's the obvious one. Well, three on the Bills alone. Right, exactly. Yeah, Tanner Gentry and Jake Hollister. I mean, unbelievably cool time. It used to be so hard to find a cowboy on Sundays. Uh, you had to really luck out uh, to find them on TV. Now it's harder not to find them on well, TV. Well, and I credit Craig Bowl with at least some of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, because he had success at North Dakota State, sent Carson Wentz to the NFL, yep. came here. He's got some credibility. He's turned the program around, which I knew he would. Yep. Uh, I had no doubt about that. Um, and uh, I, I, I do think that uh, they look for a certain type of player and they instill a certain toughness in people yep. that... Uh, uh, serves people well if they go on to play on Sundays. Yeah, it's a developmental program. Craig Bowl will be the first one to tell you that. He brings in some guys and polishes them and, and just... Well, Josh Allen wasn't exactly Aaron Rodgers. Well, that's not the best example. Wasn't exactly highly recruited coming out of high school. Not at all. Zero offers. And then uh, goes to JUCO for a year, sends out a thousand you know emails to college teams. Nothing. Uh, Wyoming and Eastern Michigan finally bit. Wyoming, you know, took it and said, let's go. And uh, he came and he did what he did. And he had a lot to prove and he had a chip on his shoulder and he still has that chip. You know, you think about it. How many Bills fans when he got drafted were like, you picked the wrong Josh. It should have been Josh Rosen. Wow. Now Ask him look. about that today. <laughs> Josh Rosen's what on the developmental squad in San Francisco or yeah, something? Yeah, a lot of people have eaten crow, a lot of Buffalo fans. And I'm a Buffalo Sabres fan, so I see them online all the time, and they all ate crow. Okay, I'm biased, I'll admit it. But I was telling people in the draft, I was saying, you know, he's going to be better than Darnold. He's going to be better than Josh Rosen. He's going to be better than any of these idiots. He had a higher upside for oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, I saw him in college, and, and yeah, he was a diamond in the rough. Sure. He didn't always have the best receivers, didn't sure. have the best weather conditions. But he had two things. He had athletic ability and he had leadership. And heart. And heart, which goes with, with uh, leadership, I think, too. Absolutely. Uh, and when you've got that, you can always play. You can't coach it. You can't teach it. You just have it. Well, and the, arm so strength, the arm strength doesn't hurt either. That guy's can't got a cannon. That. But. And just athletic. I mean, man, if can you imagine if he wins a Super Bowl in Buffalo? Hey, that's not a stretch. It's that's not. not a stretch at all. And it's not a stretch to see a Josh Allen statue right outside their stadium if he does it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, well, huge. I, huge. I was looking at the, uh, Pete Prisco's top 10 NFL players, which I posted on my personal Facebook page out of mm -hmm. personal interest. Josh Allen was 10th. 10th ain't bad. Not bad at all. And for a guy who came out of nowhere and for a lot of people, he's from Wyoming. Yeah. He can't play quarterback well, in the NFL. And he's from Fireball, California, <laughs> which is outside of Fresno. I've been to Fireball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... <laughs> It's farmland. Yeah, it's it's, it's not exactly as big of as a football factory. Let's put it that way. Right. Now, you guys, uh, and we're down to about five minutes left in the interview. I did want to hit a couple other things. Uh, you uh, you have some other things going on as well. Is that right? Oh, always, always, Doug. We got uh, you know, and, and like I said. During the season's the easy time, right? I mean, news, is, to talk about, news yeah. is coming out left and right. You got games to break down. Uh, now's the hard time. Now's the, man, better find something. And, right. Uh, we've kind of set a standard here, even before I was with Town Square Media, that we're going to have stuff daily and uh, not always an easy task. But no, it's what, a challenge. You know, what's been kind of fun this time, too, is, uh, you know, because we're on this new platform, I feel like a lot of people maybe haven't seen all of our stuff. Right. Uh, so I've been doing a thing called Throwback Thursday, too, and bringing back some old features and... And, you know, this is a good time, too, to also kind of hit the road a little bit and right. uh, go do some interviews with some former Cowboys. And What's your takeaway from doing. the spring game? 
Oh, I absolutely was, uh, you know, they didn't show the kitchen sink or anything, but um, to, see, a spring game, but... to see balance on offense when you've watched this team and covered this team, uh, it was just a sight for sore eyes. It mm-hmm. really was. Uh, well, let's be real. The, the passing offense has been atrocious. Nothing short of atrocious since Josh left, and and uh, it really showed some glimpses. Do you think it'll be better this year? It will. I mean, God, it has to be, right? And, you know, the one thing I've always wondered, Cowboys run the ball so effectively and what i can't help but thinking is late 90s denver broncos they didn't ask john elway yeah yeah. they didn't ask john elway to do a lot terrell did a lot the offensive line was great and then boy those defense those passes were wide open weren't they I mean, Shannon well, Sharp and McCaffrey. Rod running Smith. game's a quarterback's best friend. Absolutely, and that's what's been so baffling about the Cowboys the last three years. How in the world can you run the ball for 220 yards a game and not be able to – how are people not open? Well, it's not like Craig Bowl can't coach the passing game. We sure. know that. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the issue is there. but It's been uh, nothing short of frustrating, and I think it's really held this team back from being in the title conversation the last three years. These these days, you have to have some ability to throw the ball. The, the old days of nine yard and a cloud of dust, you can win that way, but you better be dominant. Well, and then you have years where things like last year, so many third and longs. And when the Cowboys yeah. are in third and long, forget it. Yeah. You know, it, when a team can pin their ears back and, and just lock you down in coverage, and they know, you're, they know you have to throw it. That's also where quarterbacks Hurt. Absolutely. And Boise State is like the perfect example against the Cowboys. They load the box and they say, throw it. Good luck. Right. And the Cowboys which can't is, do it. Which is what I would do, frankly, too. Oh, hell situation. yes. And the Cowboys yeah. can't do it. And, and they have to prove they can do that or they're not going to be able to take this next step. So is there hope that they'll do that this year? Oh, yeah. New new uh, new offensive coordinator, Tim Polasek. He, he's been with Iowa the last four years. And when you hear Iowa, you don't exactly think sexy offense. But you think... But it's a, a successful program. You think effective they've running had some good, game. good quarterbacks through there. They have. And great tight end play. And right. that's where well, I think... they've I, got like... Three or four yeah. guys in the NFL. Yeah, and that's where I think Wyoming. Really, Not to mention George Kittle of, of all people. Yeah, absolutely, and Noah Fant in in, uh, in Denver as well. Um, that's where they've they've been so ineffective. The Cowboys and getting the ball to the tight end, and for a young, possibly inaccurate quarterback like the Cowboys have dealt with the last few years, who's a better outlet than a giant tight right. end? Get rid of the ball quickly. Yes. Move it down the field. And they have move not the been chains. able to do it. It's it's time. It's time to do that. Cowboys have the, I will say it right now, the Cowboys have the best defense in the Mountain West, the best offensive line in the Mountain West, the best running back tandem in the Mountain West. Can they throw the ball with effectiveness? That's what they're going to need. Well, and if they're even mediocre with the rest of that, they exactly. should be pretty strong. You're not asking for 80% completions. Right. You're, you're asking for 56, 60, 70, hopefully 70. You're talking about a damn good year. Okay, Cody, we're about out of time. Any last thoughts for our listeners this morning? Uh, I just hope uh, everybody checks out this top 50 list, and I hope we have fun with it. You know, I'd like, I, I'm always open to fans and love talking to fans and being out there. Did you guys have any intense arguments about who should be where? Uh, maybe not intense, but there were a few. Spirited? Yeah, where it was just like, no way, guys, no way. Um, and we were, I think, 4-1 to one on the number one overall uh, player all time, but even that was like... With the guy who didn't choose our guy, we're like, what are you, what are you thinking, man? Like, come on, there's no way, there's no way. But it was fun, man. It was a lot of fun, and I hope the fans have fun with it. If you want to call us idiots, all that stuff, please do. You know, let's, let's just have the, sm- let's half have the fun, fun of sports calling people idiots, right? And- yeah, let's have fun with it. Let's talk about it and give me. Don't just call me an idiot. I want to hear your pick, right?
yes. and your reasons for it. <laughs> right, right. So let's have fun. Okay, Cody. Uh, I've been speaking with uh, Cody Tucker from 7220 Sports. Again, people can see you online. You're putting a lot of your stuff on our uh, Times yep. Square media pages as well these days. Yeah, and uh, Twitter at 7220sports. Uh, always on our Facebook page, 7220sports.com. And uh, download the app, man. The app's free. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. That'll do it for another edition of Weekend in Wyoming. Be sure and join us next week from 11 to 1 right here. You're in tune with Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. Have a great weekend. Be safe. A Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. Find more of our shows at kgab.com backslash podcasts.